Welcome to the Performance Therapy Institute podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cameron Pulse, physical therapist and personal trainer at Performance Therapy Institute in Bangor, Maine. In this podcast, I interview health and wellness professionals that love what they do, or anyone else that is interesting to me. We find out the why, the how, they do what they do at work, how they continue to learn, and some information they feel would be helpful for you to improve your own health. If you have any questions you would like me to address on this podcast, just email me at Cameron at ptherapyinstitute.com. This episode is personally very important to me. I interviewed Martin Lingus, who has been a mentor of mine for a long time. I had the opportunity of being introduced to Martin at my first PT job I had when he came to teach a weekend course at my office. It was clear the info I learned from him made an immediate impact on my patient outcomes. My wife and I moved to the Boston area for the dual purpose of having an adventure and for me to continue learning from Martin in nearby Woburn, Massachusetts. Martin is a third generation Norwegian manual therapist, which we'll get into that during the podcast exactly what that means. His mentors are some of the world's most influential PTs. In the industry of PT and personal training, the historical documentation of why we do the things we do are not as well shared within the industries compared to dentistry or medicine. They are pros to the situation such that, such that progress can be quick as status quo is not difficult to move away from. However, we can easily repeat failures that were already made in the past without historical context. The industry is improving this. Having Martin on today is a wonderful treat to learn what PT used to be, how it turned into what it is today, and what type of curiosity and effort is required to become a highly skilled clinician. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I had recording. Today with me, I have a longtime mentor and, and friend of mine, Martin Langus. Uh, he's, he's originally from Norway, uh, where he did the bulk of his physical therapy training, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. Uh, he moved to the United States in December of 1989, which is sort of an interesting story how he got here anyway. Um, he institute, sorry, he founded the Institute of Orthopedic Manual Therapy uh, in Woburn, Massachusetts, in about 1991, and he had his first residency program in 93. Uh, he currently is still running the institute, and he treats patients out of his house uh, a few days a week uh, in this gorgeous little home clinic that he's that he's created. Uh, his and his wife is also an acupuncturist. Um, so I wanted to bring Martin on today because he his mentors and his background is. Is, is, is really sort of important to me because I feel like in the medical field, there's a lot of, of information and a lot of documented history of why things are done the way they've done and how they've tried things. Um, and the world of physical therapy, there, it doesn't seem like there's that solid of documentation to sort of follow along how we got to where we are. And so often it seems like we'll sort of go in these, in these circles within the industry. Uh, but after learning from Martin, uh, he's, he was a, a huge help and we'll talk about that going forward. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to, for everyone to sort of hear, you know, all the hard work and just sort of the journey that the Martin's put through. And then, and then myself, as I sort of, you know, give a, a few stories of, of working with Martin myself, but, but Martin, I have a, a quick, quick anecdote. Uh, I, I remember one of the first times I, I met you. It was when I was in Greenfield, we were doing the weekend course. And I don't remember if it was the neck or the back. I, I, I really don't remember. But I, I remember asking you uh, at one point, it was like, how long did it, in my, in my mind, I, I was asking, you know, how long did it take you to become like a, you know, a master? And you just laughed and you're like, I wouldn't really say that, I, that I'm that. Uh, as you usually will answer things with either a short story or a short question. And be like, well, in the first five years of practicing, I thought I was pretty good. And then after 10 years of doing it, I looked back and like, oh, I was pretty bad five years ago. I'm, I'm much better now. And then 20 years went by and I was like, I don't know what I was doing 10 years ago, but I'm pretty good now. And you're like, does that answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, 
we never stop learning. So that we're on a journey and that journey never stops. So uh, I, I think I'm a better therapist now than I was 10 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, come up June, it's been 40 years since I had a license to, to perform physical therapy. So yeah, time flies by. That's, yeah. 40 years of practicing. Yeah. And like, and you still, cause even after COVID, right. I remember you had send out a little email um, or text and, and along the lines of, you know, geez, if this is what retirement's like, I guess I really have no interest in, in doing it. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, retiring and not treating patients um, uh, or teaching, but, but mostly treating patients. Um, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. There's so many hours in the day. You can only work out so much, walk the dog and, and do things around the house. You, we need something else to do. So as long as I can uh, physically and cognitively do it, uh, I, I think I'll be doing it. Keep going. So yeah. that's sort of, because I remember, so it sort of brings us to, um, you know, your, your mentors, Freddie and, and, and Olaf, uh, or Olaf, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, but because Olaf practiced till he was, so he was in his like did 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 he practice till his eighties or nineties or did yeah he so so we so Olaf Evient gave up his practice yeah um, back in um, in the nineties but he kept an, uh, an office there and he he did he had patients that he had seen on and off for you know 40, 50 years and uh, so he still was was at it and um, so he he never really gave it up either. So yeah, he, he practiced into his into his uh, early mid eighties. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, can we can we talk about so when I'm saying Freddie, we're talking about uh, Freddie Colton born and yep. and uh, and then his his partner and friend who who was uh, a close mentor of Martin's was uh, Olaf Evenblint. If I said his last name correct, but Evient, yeah, Evient. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Um, yeah. So I in. And because at that time, uh, there was a lot of stuff happening like internationally, right, with with different parts of the world between Brian Mulligan and, and, and Maitland. Well, uh, I think a lot of things when it comes to uh, manual therapy for physical mm -hmm. therapists uh, was triggered by uh, Freddie Colton-Born and mm -hmm. Jeff Maitland going to England, to London, to learn from osteopaths and medical doctors started Syriacs and and so they learned things there and then Freddie went back to Oslo and started teaching things he had learned to his colleagues in, in Oslo and uh, James uh, and um, uh, Jeff Maitland went back to Australia and started hitting this so that's why we can say that the Australian uh, uh, system and the Norwegian systems you know started at the same time and they developed slightly different but but uh, still uh, have a lot of the same roots, so to speak. So uh, towards the end of the Curious, Jeff Maitland and Freda Gottman were, were good friends. And, mm -hmm. you know, they knew that they had helped a lot of young physical therapists improve their clinical skills and, and uh, done a lot for, for the profession. And that was, I mean, time-wise, that was in like the 1940s? No, uh, 50s. 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 Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's like not really long after World War II. No, 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 that's true. And, yeah, and yeah, so a lot of that training was happening that when, when they were first meeting uh, in London, right? It, like that's, I mean, that's really not long after that time, and they sort of went their their their, their separate ways to sort of develop their systems. Yes, that's true. That's true. Sometimes I just like, for whatever reason, I sort of sit around and and think about. The, the context of what else was going on in the world in terms yeah. of like well, physical kind of therapy then was very different uh you know uh, i remember called more telling us how physical therapy then was mostly you know exercises that weren't very uh, specific and mm -hmm. passive movement and maybe some massage and so he said it's got to be more to this than than what i learned in pt school um and in fact, he was the first male physical therapist uh, allowed into the Norwegian physical therapy school. And what he was told was, 
because they didn't have a locker room for men, so they could just have women come. So, but he he was allowed, and he was the first man, male to graduate from uh, from that school. So, so he he felt that he needed to learn more, and then he went out. He, he not only did he go to England, but he also spent time in Germany and learned from mm-hmm. chiropractors and collected all these uh, ideas and techniques and kind of. Sh- shaped his own uh, system. And then of course, his student, uh, Olaf Evgent, that became my main uh, mentor, he, uh, so that was probably in the, in the 60s, mm-hmm. they started collaborating and, and, and Olaf and Freddy then continued uh, doing that up until you know, the 90s and, and uh, so, yeah, 2000. So, it, it really developed, and I was just a just a, a lucky young boy walking into his big practice uh, after having returned from my education in Germany. He asked them if they had a job for me, and they said, "Sure, we have a job for you." And um, then I I uh, worked there for six years and went through the the manual therapy education, which was three and a half years. So so I just lucked out, uh, you know, more than I could imagine back then. But uh, yeah, so. So when you, so where did you go to, well, I guess physiotherapy school over yeah. there? Like where, where did you go to school? So I went to school uh, in uh, Berlin or at the time West Berlin. Okay. So I spent two years in Berlin and then I spent a year in uh, Southwest Germany in this small town, college town, Tübingen, which is slightly south of, of Stuttgart. So. I spent uh, three and a half years in, in Germany. Um, Could you that. speak German by the time you were done there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything was in German. So the first, <laughs> the first six months were, were difficult. But at that time, all I had to do was just sit and try to understand. Mm. And, uh, and then I didn't have to speak much. But then, you know, it, it, if you live there, yeah. you know, you watch the Muppets in German. <laughs> And, uh, you know, got German friends. So, you know, I, I picked it up pretty quickly. So, yeah. But um, so, uh, so, so that's another thing. I got to live in a, in, in a foreign country, a different culture. Berlin was like the New York of Europe, yeah. interesting place, and uh, got to learn another language. So, so uh, I'm very happy I did that, uh, took that opportunity. Yeah. This, that whole situation has always seemed so wild to me. I mean, I've known other people to do it. They're like, Oh, can you speak Spanish? You're like, no, not really. You know, I went down to, you know, I have a buddy right now. It's like down in Colombia, and he's like, yeah, I think I might move down here. You know, I get to ride bikes all the time and train people. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you got to follow your dreams. Yeah, and then he's like, oh man, that's pretty cool. You're like, you know, starting your own business. And I was like, that seems really minute compared to like going to a place where like, you don't know if you can communicate with people for, you know, six months. This doesn't seem like a much bigger undertaking, you know, than doing this. Yeah, that's true. Um, nice. Okay. So spent some time Germany where I, I, I guess I didn't realize that's where you had gone to school. I thought you had gone there for work first and, and then had come back. No. So that, so you learn how to, how to do physiotherapy in, in German yep. and then you have to come back and figure out how to, how to do it in Norwegian. Yeah. So, so the, the physical therapy world, you know, the nomenclature and the, the words for things I knew in German and, the, and I had never learned them in Norwegian. So that took a while to, you know, get comfortable with that. But, you know, it worked out. And, and then at the latest stage, I moved to America and then I had to learn all over again in, in English. So uh, it could sometimes be confusing inside my brain. <clears throat> well, I remember you telling me, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, I remember you, you were talking about how in Norway, they didn't really have like a home exercise program like that. That wasn't a, a thing because more often than not, people would come to their, to their appointments like four to five times a week. Yeah. For instance, um, you know, with medical exercise therapy mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, the, the exercises is the therapy, mm-hmm. we need a lot of inputs, a lot of repetitions early on in, in, in the face, then uh, it wasn't uncommon for people to come at least four times a week and do the exercises. And uh, because of the health 
system that was possible. You know, that's not possible in America for, right. we just run out of visits. So it became much more important to teach uh, our patients how to do, uh, do a lot of themselves on their own time so that uh, they could help themselves for sure. Yeah, when you mean a lot of repetitions, we're talking about you're trying to build up from several hundred hundred to like a almost a thousand repetitions. Yeah, like for 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 a shoulder problem, you know, early on, a thousand, you know, eight, ten different exercises, uh, you know, thousand repetition is is good treatment in that phase. So so that takes that takes an hour. It can be taken out for right. so then twice a week is is not optimal. It needs to be done more. So then they need to do some things at home as well. So so and, uh, yeah. And just yeah, speaking from from my point of view, after l- learning with Martin, like while that sounds like a, a lot of repetitions because it is, mm-hmm. the people are not leaving. Like these repetitions are usually assisted with like the weight in terms of moving the limb, like people are not walking out. It's not like, um, you know, what's the movie Anchorman where he's sitting there doing bicep curls and he's like 998, 999, 1000. I don't know if you heard me, I did a thousand reps. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's like you said, it, 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 a lot of it is uh, very light resistance or like you said, resistance. So um, it's not bulk training, it's not strengthening, it's, mm-hmm. it's movement to we look at it as we tell a patient think of it as medicine and, and milligrams as opposed to you know strengthening is something we do once the, the tissue has healed and tolerates to be strengthened so so uh, that's why we can do some many repetitions yeah and then of course we needed special equipment uh, right for, for that to to be possible and i so in terms of uh, again i, I remember you're, you tell me an, an interesting story and even, even just the development of, of the concept of medical exercise therapy in terms of when they were first developing it, like the amount of observations and, and documentation that they had to use where they thought, well, maybe if we just work people out, like as if we're training them for a sport, even though they're in pain, like let's see what happens. Oh. And I always remember you telling that story going, yeah, and I figured out that was, that was not a, that was not that a good idea. Work, no. yeah. <laughs> but I think that that, that, that already like that, that short story is at least to me personally is something that feels like a sort of missing and oh. at least in, in the physical therapy and, and really in all medicine for that matter. Whereas, you know, we rely so much on either what we learned in school or what we went to a course for or what, you know, mm-hmm. what maybe the literature currently may suggest, even though we maybe don't look deep into the methods of how it was, you know, yes. done. Mm-hmm. So I think that j- just the stories of of how you know Freddie and, and and Olaf and then and then I can't remember who who oh, developed. Oh, yes, that's right, that's right. Um, you know, developed the medical exercise therapy, but but even and so a lot of it is like, do we need? You know, obviously we need the research, we need the data, we need that collaboration as, as to document where we're going. And more often than not, it seems like that information is more strongly tells us what doesn't work as opposed to what does work. Um, at least that's my opinion. You may. Well, what, what works is what works every day in the clinic. And, you know, yeah. having had decades and decades of people before us that has figured out if we go in this direction, that seems to work. Mm-hmm. And once we see that and do that, then that's a good time to do research and see, can we validate that mm-hmm. what we see works yeah. every day in the clinic? Yeah, so, yeah. So I, I, I think your just you, your experiences and even just like that thought process of people, you know, in terms of thinking and kind of a scientific method type thought process of having a hypothesis, testing it, yeah. reflecting on it. Mm-hmm. And then if it's if they see a good thing happening, being able to move in that direction, um, which unfortunately is feels like it's kind of missing from a lot of parts of at least and unfortunately and and. In, in, in our industry, it seems like from some of my classmates or, or some of the, the, maybe not classmates, but from some, some of my peers and whatnot can sometimes feel like that's missing. All right. So you, so, so you spent six years with Olaf and, and Freddie and Nor and Oslo. Yes. Oslo, Oslo Norway. My hometown. So, so what was that? Like, what, like what kind of stuff were you guys working on when you were there? Like, 
like what what, what was it sort of the the day-to-day routine of, of so of um, with them? yeah so mostly it was with Olaf Evans he was my main teacher and his partner Hans Gunadi they owned the big practice gotcha. so there were 30 physical therapists who worked there and then holy smokes that yeah so <laughs> and it, it, in the basement there we had there was the medical gym and then there was the educational room so um most of us worked there the whole week and then uh, twice a week um we had education and then you know we went through us uh, uh you know all all the different sections the spine the extremity so mm. it was kind of like what you experience uh, uh with the iomt yeah right. um and uh, at that time, uh, Carl Born uh, uh, had moved and lived in, in Germany. So but he would come and visit uh, several times a year. And whenever he was around, uh, he taught. So I, I was exposed to him quite a bit as well. And um, yeah, so uh, it, was, it was very interesting. And I, I really enjoyed, especially when Freddie started talking about old stories, uh, you know, when he was with Syriax and Stoddard and in London and, and uh, he was quite entertaining. And, and so, uh, yeah, it was, it was a blast for, can, can you, um, can you give just like a, a little synopsis of, of who Syriax and Stoddard are? So James Syriax, he, he was, uh, you know, his, his book, uh, define a lot of the orthopedic, foundations of um, musculoskeletal uh, therapy. Um, he was the one who talked about uh, tensile forces, compression forces, mm. if, if painful movement active and passively is, is the same, then we're talking about, uh, you know, passive structures muscles are painful for active compression tension. So we define a lot of things that we take for granted now, but that was actually Syriax that did that. And he was, uh, you know, he was big on um, traction mm. and he did, you know, high velocity manipulations under traction. I mean, you can probably find that on YouTube where <laughs> someone was hanging onto someone's ankle, pulling as hard as they could and he would manipulate the neck. So, uh, you know, uh, quite entertaining, but he, he did some, you know, I still enjoy looking into at his book and, and some of his thoughts about different type of patients and, and cases. So and Stoddard was an osteopath mm. and, uh, and, um, uh, yeah. you know, he has a lot of books uh, about practice and also books with example of techniques. Um, so yeah, they, they, they were all, you know, in manual medicine, so to speak. And that's exactly what Freddie Caldmore was looking for when he went out and say, I need to learn something more than I, I learned PT school. So when would do you know like the time frame that Stoddard like or do you know the the year that Syriax and Stoddard came out with their books um or at least when they were I would, like to, look that, I would like to look that up okay I'll, yeah. I'll probably put that in the show notes or whatnot anyway so just in case yeah. anyone's but I do remember um, uh 1955 Syriax yeah. uh, came to Oslo and then Freddie had taught 12 colleagues over a few years and then he mm -hmm. came to uh, make an examination so then that was the first Norwegian physical therapist that took the Xerox exams and then they became all the you know the mentors for for their uh, uh, colleagues and so forth so mm -hmm. that's how the education in Norway started by Xerox Freddie and then and then you know the pyramid went like this so and then you know I, I look at myself as a yeah, a third generation Norwegian manual therapist having learned from Freddie and, and, and Olaf. So, right. Yeah. That's how I always kind of think of you. Yeah. It's like, so <laughs> easy, so easy to describe it. I'm like, Oh yeah. Martin, he's like a third, third generation. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously manual therapy has been, uh, and just in case we keep saying manual therapy, you're talking about like hands-on therapy, uh, in terms of like touching patients and whatnot, but 
uh, but yeah, manual therapy, I mean, it's been done for experimented with for a long time, but in terms of, uh, you know, Freddie, uh, Colton Bourne, and then, and then in his work with Olaf, it seems like they really started to get a little more precise with it in terms of really trying to dig in to the ideas of in, investigating what what was doing what they can do to sort of standardize it and then especially trying to standardize it with which with education like in terms of you know because obviously when you touch a patient or even what you see with a patient is obviously different than than what I do even though you're the one that taught me for two years it's always I just have a little more experience that's all Cam just 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 a little bit more no it it looks like a, a a small stroll through the park when you put your hands on people and, and, and me, it looks like a, like a, like a, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to, to wrestle a, a baby goat. I'm trying to be gentle, but at the same time, it's... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least that's a, sometimes a, a sensation that I feel like I have when I'm going with it. So, yeah, I feel like we kind of, if you're okay with it, nope. we kind of have to, to talk about introduce Terry into this, your wife a little bit. Terry, yeah, yeah, Terry Finnegan, yeah. So uh, she's the reason I'm here. If I hadn't met Terry, I wouldn't have met you. That's that's what I'm saying. I kind of we kind of it's like <laughs> you kind of can't uh, can't can't talk about you coming in here if if we don't bring up Terry somehow. So right. Well, <laughs> um, when I was a young man, 2021. So this is probably just February of 80. So just a few months before I moved to Germany to attend physical therapy school. Oh, okay. I was before that. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I uh, was part of an international youth group mm-hmm. uh, that uh, got together in Lake Placid to work during the Olympics as, you know, we had different jobs at the different arenas. And so there were 60 people from all over the world and 60 Americans. And, and uh, my job was to work at a speed skating uh, oval outside. And, and then, you know, after, after the events, we would all get together and, and have a lot of uh, great meetings with all these young people. Most of them were in the 20s. Mm. And uh, so, so there I met, met a girl that I, I liked. Her name was Terry. And um, yeah, so... We, we uh, worked together uh, during the Olympics. And um, the short story is that I went back to Norway and she went off to college and, and we met again uh, two and a half years later. And then four years later, she ended up um, moving to Norway and uh, we got married and, uh, in Norway and, and she lived there six years um, uh, with me uh, before we decided to move to America. Gotcha. So that's the short, short version of it. Yeah. So that meant, so the first time that you guys met was, was at the, was at the Olympics. Yes. So, so yeah, you, he knew that this was obviously a serious thing. Like I didn't realize that's the first time you met. And cause I, I, I know this, this Lake Placid story in terms of the, uh, <clears throat> So yeah, I, I didn't realize that was the first time you had met. Yeah, we 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 were just together for four weeks. Mm. Yeah, and um, so I think the story you're alluding to is yes. I'm, I'm trying to tip you that way. Yes, <laughs> is uh, so everyone remembers uh, the U.S. hockey team that won the gold, um, and. Uh, Towards the end of the Olympics, uh, there was the game against the Soviet Union, so the USA against the Soviet Union. And we were able to go to the game, not because we had tickets, but uh, we would get into the building by just showing our our Mm. identification card. And we had a friend who was an usher. So he said, meet us here and there. And then we got in and he said, well, row 10 to the left, there's two spots. So we went up there and and watched the the uh, USA-Soviet game. And um, so, which was unbelievable. And um, uh, so the, the second period is over and the game is there to be won. And uh, Terry turns to me and says, how about we walk over 
the street to the press center and just watched a third period in, uh, on the feed because the game wasn't on TV directed. It was actually shown two hours later. On, right, uh, yeah, it was on the way. Yeah. We could watch in the press center and, and we had some friends there. So, uh, so I said, uh, okay. So, so we did. So we left, we left the, the game and, and watched the third period there. And, uh, and then of course, we went up and celebrated in the town when, after they won. But um, I uh, two years ago, I told this story to a client. Mm -hmm. Uh, a, a patient, and he happened to know uh, the captain of the team, Mike Erizioni, mm. and he told him the story. And then uh, a couple of months later, I, I get a signed copy of his new book, uh, uh, and he said, uh, I can't believe you walked out of the uh, USA Soviet game. Uh, I hope she was worth it. And then, <laughs> And then he called me and we had a nice conversation about it, but uh, he thought that was a pretty fun story. So, yeah. I was... Uh... I told him there were two miracles in Lake Placid that February. One had to do with ice hockey and the other one I met my wife. So he, he thought that was pretty good. That's a good one. Yeah. So I had, by my own confession, I had, not only had I, have I never seen the miracle movie, uh, and I had never read a book on the game, but after our last phone conversation a, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the library, started reading, uh, not the book that, that you have, but of the, the boys of winter. And I got about halfway through it and I was like, I got to watch this movie. So get on like Amazon prime. And I'm like, what have I been missing this whole time? <laughs> I know it's a fantastic movie. It's, it's, it's uh, but I, I, I told, I have a, a couple of personal training clients as a brother and a sister uh they're both big hockey players yeah. and so I, I i told them your story and they're like he got a phone call from rizzo that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was fun <laughs> but uh nice well i'm glad it happened because you came here so you yep. know your your sacrifice ended up I meaning i gotta work with you for a while yeah. and still get a chat with you <laughs> i have no regrets <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. No. Um, okay, so once you moved to the States, where'd you guys end up? So so my wife grew up in the south of Boston, Quincy. And um, when we were talking about, you know, moving, there was no real reason why we moved from Oslo to, to, to Boston other mm -hmm. than we could. So it's like, right. do you want to go live in Boston for a few years? See how that is? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So she always liked Cambridge. So we ended up... Um, uh, right outside Howard Square in mm. Cambridge, lived there for eleven years, so mm. close to Boston and and uh, a really cool place to live. And then uh, we had two two children, and when my son was seven and my daughter was three, we moved up to Southern Maine. Mm -hmm. And I wanted maybe to raise our kids not in the city but small town. So we 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 looked around and we ended up um, in New York, Maine, and we've been there now for 21 years. So have you been in, so you've been in that same house for 21 years? Yep. Mm -hmm. So when you first moved, uh, I always, I always picture this. And in fact, I've talked about it with some other, some like some of the classmates when I was doing the Institute, we've always sort of sat there and gone, what did Martin do? Like, where did he practice when he first came in? It's this sort of funny because you've been I've only known you'd ever practice out of your house and, and be a teacher yeah. and so we're always trying to picture like so you actually, as, uh, as a therapist uh, in the states <laughs> so actually when when I got here I, I had some connections through another Norwegian uh, physical therapist who who lives lived and, and taught over over here so mm. uh, my first job was actually at Mass General Hospital and, and uh, really okay yeah yeah so i worked there only two three months which was mm -hmm. a great place to start because i was introduced to a lot of things that i wasn't used to documentation was very different and they took good care of me and met some really nice people and then um i uh, i ended up uh, uh meeting some therapists who had their own practice mm -hmm. Orthopedics Plus in Winchester, Woburn, and and uh, and I hooked up with them and and were with them for 25 years. So that's how, with those people, that's when we developed the institute and, and gotcha. 
Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize you were. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, so you were with out of Orthopedics Plus for twenty five years. That's uh, yeah, from uh, from uh, May of ninety to uh, end of two thousand fifteen. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and so you guys had so you founded the institute at Orthopedics Plus there, yeah. and. And about so you start you first started having some like weekend type courses in '91, and then and then two years later was I mean that's a big jump to go from weekend courses to organizing and yes. founding a, a one year like for the because then it becomes two years but especially level one is so so it, just to give a little bit of inf information from from my perspective anyway of of going through it is. Uh, so physical therapy school, at least now when, when I graduated, it, we were one of the first classes that you had to have a doctoral degree. So like the quickest you could get out of it was about six years. I, I say get out of it, like is this, this, this awful thing, but. Out of jail? Well, <laughs> well I, I, I still just have, I, I, I'm about to make my very last student loan payment uh, next week. And Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, but I still once in a while have dreams that I'm sitting in class and I, and I look up and, and there's a clock, but the clock doesn't show the time that shows each minute that goes by, the more money that I owe and like student loans in the class. Yep. Uh, anyway, I don't have that one anymore, though hopefully I don't. Uh, but anyway, so in terms of like, so I, so I went to Huston University and I was, I was there for six years. So in terms of in, in the states, it is you know these these long sort of extra training after school is they're they're not required as opposed to if you're if you're in medicine and you want even if you want to go into family medicine you've got to do your 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 medical school rounds and you've got to do your residency and then by the time you actually start seeing patients you've been actually doing it for quite a while at that point um, and if you want to be an orthopedic surgeon you're essentially almost 40 by the time you're on your own right so so in terms of you have to sort of realize the the type maybe not the types of people but definitely the amount of the excitement that sort of comes with people that have already done like six years of pt school and they want to you know start working and then they realize oh, i feel like there's got to be more to this and 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 I, again you answered a question for me once uh oh Try to see if I can fit it in there, but because I, I think it's just like a two sentence answer you gave me on the philosophy of life, and uh, <laughs> and so essentially, so you're done with school. You know, I I had personally done another residency, and then and then I came and worked with you for two years. So basically, twice a week for two years. Uh, you know, I was essentially with you for at, at least four hours. Yeah. So so the first year. You, the commitment is four hours times two, so eight hours. The second mm. year is five hours times two, so 10 hours a week and mm. on top of your other professional life and stuff. So mm. it's, it's a busy time for sure. It, it, is, it is busy and as much as it was uh, relieving in terms of time and energy wise to like be done, it still is like, a, you know, the time that you get to spend with your classmates and and then it's, and then it, it sort of opens up your eyes to what it means to really acquire any new skill, you know, where like, uh, so say if I go to, you know, help out at, at Husson now and, you know, they'll learn a tech, you know, three techniques in a day. And then there's really not much follow up with it. And it's no fault to the professors or the program there. It's just if they want to build this curriculum and they can, they have a total of three months to get this. Yeah curriculum in while they're learning all this other stuff yeah. and then to come work with you and you just do the same technique twice a week you know for two years you know yeah, finally by the end you're like oh <laughs> but that's the whole idea of it that we learn new things and we go back and review and then you learn new things and we go back and review so that when we wrap it up uh you know you you have you're very familiar with it and you've mm -hmm. been practicing it with your own patients and then in class and so it's the time is very very important so 
you know, it's impossible to to learn a lot on just on the weekend courses. That's mm. you can learn some, but but then you're on your own again. You have no opportunity to go back and say, "How was that again? How's my hand? And and when did we do this technique? And mm. and what if the patient says this when I do it?" And you know, that's valuable. So so that's the whole idea. And, and I I modeled. Uh, our program to uh, the program, the Norwegian national program that I went through. So, because that worked fantastic for me. So I said, well, let's see if I can help people here have, uh, you know, a similar experience. Right. So, yeah, I think one of the other, the two biggest things that I'm here taking away from you is not, I mean, obviously there's the hands-on skills, which are great. I mean, I use them every day it's sometimes i need them more than others with some people um but even more so is is the troubleshooting of communication with people and and not only that but your your patience to allow us to make mistakes even if it's like right in front of you especially if they have to do with communication not so much the actual like hands-on skills may you know not many make mistakes as in terms of you know people the patients that you're, you know, and the student interaction is like unsafe, but rather, you know, I, I remember always being so excited to be like, Oh, you got to do this and this stop doing that, you know, and then there's really not this ebb and flow relationship. And, and then yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a, a mistakes. It's just the different levels of, of how you communicate with people. You got to connect with people and people are different. So you have different strategies for different people. You have to realize who, who do I have in front of me now? How do I explain what I need to do, what you need to do to this patient versus this other guy who has a different personality? So, so that's, a, that's another skill. So mm-hmm. and the only way I can teach that is to kind of model it in front of you. So, um, you know, so, so it can't be done if we just get together every Saturday. Right. Practice, yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's sort of an interesting thing to always try to discuss with, with patients when they go to say, well, am I progressing normally? The answer is always, uh, I don't, I guess I don't know what normal is. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I have two people with the same exact presentation and one person for whatever reason, the level of communication is smooth and easy. We don't need to touch them a whole lot. And then, yeah. you know, and then the next person. So again, that's also one of those things that I think gets unfortunately lost or, or in, you know, until people experience it, you know, like, like you've always said that, you know, you, I mean, you, you can do a lot to talk someone through their issue, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. without even needing to lay hands on them or do exercise, you can get them a percentage better. What percentage is unknown to us until we start intervening, you know, but start feeling better just with talking. Well, I, I think we emphasize, uh, you know, patient management a lot and mm-hmm. you know we realize that a, a lot of the patients who come to see us they have developed these issues dysfunction and pain because faulty movement patterns uh things they over a long long time have done that wasn't optimal for the tissue and it comes to a point where the tissue goes i can't take this anymore and then they have pain so mm-hmm. So a lot of therapists would say, what can I add to, what can I do to this patient? What, so instead of adding things, the first thing we need to do is take things away, mm-hmm. get things under control, and then we can add back and maybe do things differently so that they can do their daily tasks, work tasks, exercises in a way where, where their tissue tolerates it. So a lot of it is, is management of, of uh, what the patient should be in control over so um you know once in a while we have a patient who comes and and their problems is is related to let's say the spine things things that are gotten very tight and then mm-hmm. manual therapy is fantastic so if you have the right techniques then then you can really do a lot with them other patients you don't even need to touch them you just show them what they need to do different it could be anything from how they fix their pillows before they go to sleep to how their monitor at work or the car is and how do they bend over to put the socks on in the morning? Like all this 
normal mundane stuff that is just repetitive, repetitive. And then all of a sudden, good things happen. And, and, and the patient realizes that that was all up to me. I just needed some coaching. Yeah. So, so that's the fun part of it, of, of it I think. Yeah. Which is, I would agree now, I, I, I think it's funny going through school and, and you get really excited. You're like, oh, I want to learn these hands-on techniques and you know, I want to learn these skills. And then, and then when you start to, you know, when someone says out loud, oh, it's fun watching people learn, which is basically what like an educator would be anyway, if you enjoy yeah. teaching, right. you're, it's really not any different teaching a, a young therapist than it is teaching a patient. Exactly. It's, exactly. it's essentially the, the, yeah. the same, the same thing. You're just, yeah. Yeah, the vocabulary may be different from, right. from person to persons, yeah. but the you just have to make it make it so that they understand it. You, you have to simplify things so that uh, it makes sense to them. If it doesn't make sense to them, they won't change their habits. Hmm. They don't connect the dots between those things and their own problems. So, so that's the first job we, we have to do. You know. I think another huge thing that I remember being really, really beneficial from working with you was, so in like PT school, you know, no one really, for good reason, no one wants to put you into a lane or like a a, a model or or trying to memorize like a certain way to do an evaluation or a thought process. Mm -hmm. And well, even since I, since I hadn't been working with you for a while, like my, you know, my evaluation process is, is, is different just based on sort of how I think at this point now, but it didn't like switch. It's not like everything was, I threw out the window or anything, but it was like, once it, you created a framework. So for instance, let's say if a patient comes in practicing and doing so many repetitions of how you're going to do the evaluation became a skill within itself that it really allowed me to sit and just listen to the patient rather than thinking about what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. I already know what I'm physically going to do next. So I don't have to think. And, and I, I feels like when, you know, we, we see students or when I hear of other patients that come, you know, to see me, if they've been to another therapist, or even if it's not PT, if they just go see another clinician and they get the sense that, physically it didn't look like they knew what they were doing like it was just sort of piece piece together sort of reacting yeah. and and but i i just I, i'm really thankful that you took that approach because obviously i know you found that it was it was helpful for you so then as i've learned i had a template to just sort of how does this fit into my model and then let me test it mm-hmm. and let me react and then and then or analyze rather and then do some research and then talk to other people. And then I can sort of start playing around with it mm. on my own. And like one of the last conversations when, you know, as when I was working with you, you know, I remember you always saying, you know, when you're done with this program, like you're not, you haven't arrived anywhere. You're really just sort of beginning your, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's sort of a, like a flipping of a page of, of this next part of your journey. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, my goal is that people has a solid platform mm. to continue to, get better at everything that we had practiced and talked about so mm-hmm. you know that's like i said early on that that's the beginning solid beginning of that journey that never ends right yeah as it is as, as long as you treat patients i mean if you stop treating patients then you go backwards that's that's 100 percent sure so if you yeah. if you stop treating patients yeah. and and continue to teach then that that doesn't go so well why do you think that is i mean i i know that every all the mentors that i've ever worked with you know either with you and after you and they all say the same thing i just uh i was kind of curious as as to sort of why do you think that is just teaching it, it it's you just talk about things from the past you know but if you are practicing what you're teaching then you get much more stimulated you know i i routinely every week tell my students stories about current patients that i am treating Mm -hmm. or maybe treated last month and i don't talk about patients that treated five years ago Mm -hmm. 10 years ago like there's a few patients that 
are very unusual that I'm mm. going to go out. You know, that I had one time I had this patient, and it was back, you know, 20 years ago, but that might be worth it. But the general population, the people that we're seeing, then I, I talk about the patients I'm seeing now. And then, and then I give them updates. I said, remember I talk, told you about this patient, so-and-so, and I suggested so-and-so, and then, then they came back, uh, you know, and, and then so it's very helpful for them to see that the stuff I'm talking about is actually working. And then they can see for themselves if it's working. It doesn't work because I say it works. It mm -hmm. works because it works for them in their clinic. And, and that's the goal. You know, and because if someone came and listened to me on the weekend and I tell them all this, said, I don't know if this is real, you know, uh, it doesn't gel that I heard before. And, mm -hmm. and I, I can understand that. But if they, if they're in a situation where they're actually able to road test it, you know, over some time, they realize mm -hmm. yeah, it works for me. That means I believe it. Yeah. The so, repetitions yeah. have to be there. Yeah. Why? Why do you think the Institute has been successful for as long as it has been? I think for that, that simple reason that yeah. because we have the time and they get to test it out. So they have our guidance over extended time. And then, you know, there are times where they have to kind of like back off a little bit, go in a slightly different direction because we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. And you know, we do more than just testing, uh, teaching techniques and exercises. You know, we, we, we put a lot of effort into, uh, you know, analyzing the situation. When is, this is a great exercise, but not always. So when mm -hmm. is this a good exercise? When is this exercise not good because it's too early? So there's a lot of thinking like that that is very helpful. And if, if you go in the literature, they'll say, yeah, for a neck patient, uh, these and these exercises uh, right. seems to be very helpful, but they are. But if you do it too early or too much, it can be bad. So mm. those are conversations that we have all the time. So that that's very helpful guiding the therapist into, you know, how do we dose this? You know, this is not a good exercise now, but in three weeks, it might be fantastic for the mm. same patient. So, so I think that's, that's the reason and the feedback we get uh year in and year out is is you know their ability to sit back analyze and and manage the patients uh is is the most valuable and then yeah when you learn techniques and you practice you get good at them when they're indicated that oh, wow, that's pretty good that works good yeah i remember uh i think i had I can't remember what it is that I I had asked you, but you gave me the answer was uh, being a good therapist during the week makes for good weekends. Yeah. Good weekends make for being a good therapist during the week. <laughs> yeah, we need weekends and we need vacations. And mm. um, but I think one of the things that I think is important, and you know, we we help a lot of young therapists. There. Mm you know, just a few years out, we call them the zeros to three. Um, yeah. And uh, it's a difficult job because, especially if you are in the musculoskeletal outpatient, because, mm. you know, people come in and pain here and pain there. What does that mean? Is it the shoulder? Is it a neck? Is it a hip? Is it a back? So it can be very frustrating and scary to be a young therapist in that setting. And, uh, you know, helping these people get more, uh, confident in what they do so that when they walk in on the Monday morning, they don't worry about anything. They'll, they don't be able to deal with whatever comes their way. Because the, the Sunday scaries is very real for a lot of young therapists Sunday night looking at their schedule and looking at, oh, I don't look forward to go to work tomorrow morning because it's scary. And then on top of that, they have to make the computers happy. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then there's, there's pressure on, on, on seeing enough patients. So yeah, it's, until you get to a certain point, uh, being a young physical therapist is, is difficult and a little scary. So getting people through that is, 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 is a good thing. Yeah, it's, that's actually a really good reminder. I have, I asked some 
now that I'm closer to Hassan here and I've gotten to see some students or I've gotten to treat them and and sometimes they'll reach out to me when they're you know on on a Sunday or during the week and going you know boy I'm I'm burnt out or mm-hmm. you know I feel like I all the all the cases are complex and you know and now I I I mean I don't I tell them all the time like I don't really envy being a new therapist because no it's tough now I almost, I almost started looking for something else because I knew I, I don't know no. so I looked into going to medical school or mm-hmm. chiropractic thinking I need to learn more and then because I ended up where I did then I realized mm-hmm. yeah this is where I need to be right mm-hmm. then I, I I loved it you know so so once you get past that it's a wonderful wonderful job you get to meet all these people interesting people rich poor educated not so educated you hear great stories uh and people when you help people with pain and 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 improving function people are very very uh appreciative and uh so that's always a good feeling you know and um so but we need to get to a certain place before we get get to the point where this happens all the time early on it's hard to take credit for when people get get better it's like mm-hmm. oh, maybe they would have gotten better anyway and if they get don't get better or get worse of course you take the blame so so yeah that's not a good job so but but once you get uh up to a certain platform then then everything flips around and it's a fantastic job yeah i i i would agree i had similar sentiments right before i started working with you it was Actually, I remember sitting. I remember sitting at, at, at this bar in, in Boston with my clinic director and one of these other managers when I was at Joint Ventures, and I think I had. I was already. I was like maybe a month or two out from starting Level One with you, and I was already. I was talking to them, and I was going, "Man, I don't know. I don't know if I should, you know, keep being a PT. Like, I maybe I should become like a PA. You know, maybe that seems like a." life worth doing or you know feel like I can help people more and you know and then like two to three months into it I'm like that was been an awful decision I'm (laughs) (laughs) you know well well, why would I have done that but but on the other hand the the energy the time and the finances that that are sacrificed only by the individuals to to get to that point where work is fun is significant because it's like you've already spent a lot of time energy and money on, on pt school and you've been told well you have this doctoral degree so you must know a lot and it's like well you do you do know a lot yeah. but there's so much to learn in pt school and mm. so many areas so when you get a pt school and and you want to work in in uh, musculoskeletal uh feel you, you haven't learned enough mm-hmm. To, to be comfortable you know if you if all you do is just treating post-surgical patient total knee total hips that's easy because that you just follow directions mm-hmm. you don't have to do much thinking for yourself but to to examine someone who comes in with pain here and there and that that's complicated that takes mm-hmm. more skills so mm-hmm. so we we have to learn more and um, that's where you know mentorship comes in. Is there anything to like the 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 general public? If you could tell them one thing that is sort of it can be like a, a tip, it can be just like a concept. Is there any one thing that you sort of wish the public could know that can maybe decrease their their sort of random pain suffering or that would make your life maybe a little bit easier when they came in to see you if they sort of knew this? Uh, I think I have to repeat myself that, you know, it's fine. When, when people end up with aches and pains, mm-hmm. most of the time they come and they go and people are used to, yeah, sometimes my hip hurts, sometimes my shoulder. And then I just do this and put some ice on it or whatever, then, then they're fine. Once they come in, to a point where I have to have this looked at. So mm-hmm. either they, they go and write to us or through their provider, their uh, doctor. At that point, 
that most of the time, if they can have someone analyze the situation, things can get taken care of very quickly if mm. you figure out what the pain triggers are, the aggravating factors, the thing that keeps this monster alive. And that's usually, uh, you know, a list of things that needs to be tweaked and can be, you know, all the things we talked about earlier with mm. daily life things, or it could be exercises. Mm. So, so then they, instead of adding things, I need to go and get stronger. I need to go and get more flexible. Sorry, that's my dog. Over there. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, let's analyze the situation first. Gotcha. So. Well, Martin. Let, let, let I've me, had, hold one second. Let me go, go for it. it. Let, yeah, let go for it. You're good. <laughs> this is my last baby at home my two other kids are are, are, are so this is the one that needs some attention <laughs> that's hilarious um yeah so this was awesome like this is uh just sort of getting the sequence of how you got to to be where you're doing and in getting your your thoughts honestly on recording was like for whatever reason very important to me whether or not more people find that it's you know helpful and that hopefully they can sort of do a little bit more investigation of maybe who their caretakers are or 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 not if if they go to physical therapy or whatever it may be you know a, a chiropractor athletic trainer massage therapist acupuncturist physician you know, just realizing that, you know, not everyone has been on this curious journey, you know, that, uh, you know, where they've, they've, you know, sort of put in the the time and, and the learning to get there and, and not necessarily by any fault of their own, but rather they have just, A, haven't been introduced to something that was helpful, which is, seems to be more often the case. Like people are quite serious. Once you go to PT school, like they, they want to do something yep. in this field. And unfortunately it's, just seems like there's just so many different directions out there because it's, it's a big money-making industry and and there's a lot of good stuff out there too that you know including like your yourself and um yeah it's 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 difficult when you even with you know people come if they're graduating they reach out to me and they're like you know what should i do and you know it's like well what do you what do you feel like what makes a what makes you happy you know, what sort of population you want to work with. Like, I know what I like to do. And to be honest, over the last, you know, 10 years, that's drastically changed. You know, I was like, oh, I want to work with athletes. And now I'm like, I like people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I, I, over the years, you know, I remember how exciting it was to work, to work with athletes when I was mm -hmm. in my 20s. And I worked with, you know, high level athletes, hockey players, cross country skiers. And 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 um, soccer players, I really enjoy the the older generation. Mm. People, you know, my own age. I'm I'm in my early sixties, and but seventies and eighties, and you get you know really interesting people in the nineties that uh, that you know they get very very happy when you can help them. And uh, you hear great stories, and mm. uh, I really, uh, as I got older, I, I enjoyed more and more treating older people because mm. they're not going to go back to playing uh, basketball, and mm. they just want to get up in the morning and get their stuff done, and still go for a walk and go shopping and up and down the stairs. You know, those are very important things to them, and and I think that's more important than getting someone back back on the field or, or mm. on the court. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they appreciate it more too than the athletes. And <laughs> they just take it for granted. Of course, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, and it sounds like it, like when we say it, it sounds like it should be an easy concept, you know, to get someone in their their sixties or seventies or eighties, or you know, to comfortably get out of a chair and walk to their mailbox or go for their walk. You know, conceptually, that sounds easy. I mean, it doesn't to me anymore, but. 
you know, to, to, to a lot, you know, a lot of individuals, whether they, they be patients or younger therapists, it's like, oh, well, you know, you know, you just do this and okay, well, was the data tell you, you know, how, what are your outcomes and how are you measuring the outcome of them, you know, getting better in that case? Cause, um, but it, I, 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 I agree, you know, it, it sounds like it should, you know, the complexity of getting someone out of a hospital bed that's had the surgery and has these other comorbidities. Well, that is very complex and does require, you know, hopefully some more guidance and, and training and repetitions. The idea of getting someone to be able to walk a hundred feet to two miles without having knee or hip pain or whatever it may be, or back pain is like, that's tough. You know, yeah. like, especially when someone's sitting there, you're doing your examinations, like that's a, that's a tough switch to make. Um, and it doesn't sound it's, but it just doesn't sound sexy to, you know, have a, a mentorship or internship. That's like, Hey, you're going to help. So you're going to so. help Betty Lou, you know, be yeah. able to get out of bed without pain in the morning or get yeah. out of her chair. Right. Um, even though those are the ones when you go into work, you're like, geez, I don't know if I can, you know, I, you either go, those are the ones do the Sunday scaries, like you said, or, you know, as I remember being younger therapists just going like, oh, they're old, like they're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of like whatever. And then, then you realize now, oh, no, I just, you know, needed, needed to ask more questions. Now I have an understanding, you know, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. Anything else you wanted to add or, or talk about or? No, I think, I think I need to get myself some breakfast. <laughs> yeah it's 11 o'clock of course you do <laughs> I, had, I had my coffee so no i need a little more breakfast i gotta yeah, i gotta drink more of mine so martin i really appreciate you having on i had a great time chatting uh thanks for your time and energy and talking about your own experiences and like the history of physical therapy uh don't retire anytime soon a lot of people need your help and a lot of, a lot of kids still need to come and learn from you. And I, uh, yeah, plus to stay healthy. Cause I, I always enjoy talking to you and seeing what you're up to. So, yep. well, thanks for having me on. It was, it was fun. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll be another guest in the future or, or go ahead and steal someone from, from, from your, uh, one of your students to come on and they can talk about what it's like. All right. That sounds like a good idea. Actually sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Martin. I'll talk to you All soon. Right. Have a good one. Bye-bye.